powered by Go Goat Sports in partnership with TSN. It is episode 72, season 4 of the Ray and Riggs Hockey Podcast. And as always, proudly presented by our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey. Ray, we'll get the headlines in just a moment. And, and part of that will be the acknowledgement of, I don't know if, it was, if it's fair to call it a bold prediction made by you, but you did say going into the Stanley Cup final that it would be Vegas in five. And I guess that would be out of respect to the Florida Panthers. You know, I, I, they're going to win a game. It's not likely going to be a sweep. But what we saw in game five, man, that was just sheer dominance again. Well, um, I just, you know, I did the Vegas series against Dallas, and they just looked so good. And they were, they're so Ugh. big, and they were just relentless in the way they played. And, but they just dominated the the team game, and I just felt like Florida was. It just felt to me they were getting to the point they were on fumes. Like they had, I I can't imagine how many times it must have felt like they were pushing the boulder up the hill, and yet they got it up the hill again. Like it, it was every series, it felt like they were just an inch from it going the wrong way. And yet they pushed through again. I just felt they were out of gas. So that's why, that's why to me, it made sense. Uh, I, I think a, well more than half, I think, thought Vegas was going to win. They just felt it was deeper in the series. I just didn't, I didn't think Vegas had, or uh, Florida had much left. And as it turned out, they, they really physically didn't. Yeah, we'll get to the injuries here momentarily. And uh, I know that, you know, you view, feel the same with Paul Maurice that I do. One of our favorite people. You know, terrific guest, so well-spoken, so good for the game. Does he play the media on occasion? Sure he does. Most NHL coaches and, and the experienced players do. Um, you probably caught his post-game interview with Jackie Redman last night. You know, for him to go through the emotional run that dates back to the regular season, right? And the investment from the coaches, from the players, from the trainers, from management, from everyone, and then have the presence of mind to not only roll through the list of injuries, but to put it in perspective and, and still acknowledge how proud he was of that group mere minutes after losing the Stanley Cup final. There's no more games to play this year. Again, that speaks at least to me, a person who knows him pretty well, of where Paul is in his life. Like he's at peace, right? He recognizes how difficult it is to go deep into the playoffs. Disappointed, oh boy, beyond belief. But also taking stock of the experiences and how tightly together that group of Florida Panthers is now moving forward. I kept going back to when he left in Winnipeg. You know, when he said, I just, you know, it's time for a change. Yeah. And as, as much as it was time for a change from... Uh, for the Winnipeg Jets, it was time for a change for for Paul. Like he, you know, he needed to step away. He needed to, you know, just to. I, I hate to refresh and recharge. I mean, like he just he just needed to get away from the game. And you know, he had a great line uh, somewhere, and he said, uh, you know, I was I was tired of catching fish every day it was it was time to it was time to get back in and then the opportunity in Florida came and he did just a you know he did an amazing job I I think it was a masterful job of coaching manipulating a roster that that was undermanned undersized under health if that's a word um 
all of it. I, I just, I thought he and his coaching staff did a, they did a really great job. And then of course it gets to the players that were just magnificent in, in the way that they played. I mean, they, I, I don't know how Florida can look at that. And I mean, I know how they can be disappointed, but how, how they, they can't be just immensely proud of what they did because at the end of the day, they ran into a bigger, better, faster team. Like the, the best team for the last two months was the Vegas Golden Knights, and and they deserve to win. All right. Well, perfect segue to headlines. And and so take us back to your playing days here. And, and maybe you had similar experiences. I mean, you didn't hoist the Stanley Cup, but you played on some pretty good teams at varying stages of, of your career. So imagine what it must have been like and is like as a player right, for – to play for an owner who is as committed as Bill Foley. I mean, to, to make the prediction that he made early on, you know, we're going to win it no later than year six. Well, it's year six. Um, so he's committed in every way to win. That empowers management, George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon, to go out there and focus on that standard, right? And that includes making some very unpopular decisions. You know, the Marc-Andre Fleury saga, not popular. You know, the fact that they dispatched Gerard Gallant, you know, a popular coach, um, hired Pete DeBoer because they felt tactically Pete DeBoer would give them more than what they had in, in Gallant. Well, then they fire Pete DeBoer and they replace him with Bruce Cassidy, um, who maybe was the missing piece in several different ways. So, you know, long-winded way of asking this, like how good would you feel as a player to be in an environment like that where you knew the coach was the right coach and management was going to do everything possible to help you win a Stanley Cup? Well, it would be remarkable, you know, to have the resources to do it, the wherewithal to do it, the the ability to stand back and let your managers do their thing because they weren't, they weren't you know, taking pitches to the opposite field for a base hit here. I mean, they, they swung wow. big a lot. And I, I, so in this, it does, I think it's faded a little bit, but it still bugs me how people think that Vegas was gifted a Stanley cup roster. Go back to that roster. Just look at it. The, the first year. And you tell me who thought that was a Stanley cup roster because I can remember when they came out of the blocks and nobody gave that roster a second look. And so what the league did, just a little revisionist history, I guess, is that they looked at Columbus, they looked at Minnesota, who even though they were successful, nobody could watch because they were like, oh my God, they're so boring. Then they had our glorious experiment in Atlanta and they're like, wait a minute, we're going to charge somebody 500 or $600 million to come in. They need to have access to better players. I think two things happened here in Vegas that allowed them to win in six years. One is they got to start from scratch. They had nothing that they had to get off the books. And in a salary cap world, we know that's incredibly important. There was nothing there that they didn't want. And then if they wanted to move it, they didn't have lingering dollar penalties sitting behind them of retained money and stuff like that. That's number one. Number two is they got to a point and they went, you know what? We're pretty good. We need a top-end defenseman. They went and got Petrangelo. 
Then they decided they needed uh, more to their leadership core. They went out and swung big and made that trade with Ottawa for Mark Stone. Then they still pretty good team. And they're like, we, we don't have a number one center. We've got Chandler Stevenson and we got William Carlson. And that was, there was risk to that trade to Jack for Jack Eichel. Big risk. Like, what if the surgery yeah. didn't allow Jack to play? Like we just watched him play for two months and all of those things sit at the top of the big swing category. And then there's, Chandler Stevenson, you know, was, I think he was a fifth round draft pick is what they, they traded for. Aiden Hill was a fourth round draft pick. Uh, Quinton Howden became a really effective player. Go through their roster. They don't have a lot of draft picks on that roster. They went and they churned that roster looking for the right mix. And it was bold and it was big. And it's not always popular. Like around the league there, I wouldn't say that teams look at them and go, oh, they're our favorite group. And it's because they are, they are ruthless in their approach. And you know what? They they hit on almost every number. And to to win from, from zero to six years and to win is is pretty remarkable. Yeah, look, I mean it's it's kind of Jimmy Rutherford in his heyday, right? Like, you know, in that he he would identify a need, make a trade. Great. If it worked, perfect. Then we're set. Now let's focus on another area of concern and let's try and fix that area too. And if you swing and you miss, all right, well, we'll fix it. We'll try something else. I mean, look at the carousel of goalies that the Vegas Golden Knights had to play with, you know, at varying points this year. But I don't know that I've ever been more impressed with the evolution of a player in the postseason than I am with Jack Eichel. And and the offensive side of this game, when he was healthy, I mean, we could see that he was going to be a dynamic NHL star. We could see that. Um, but then he had his share of issues, you know, that, that have been well-documented in Buffalo. It just didn't seem to be the right fit. But as you talked about, you know, there was far from any guarantee that that the surgery that he had was going to work, that he was going to be able to withstand the rigors and the wear and tear of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And he did all that, but on top of it, he turns into a hell of a two-way hockey player, right? Where the importance of of the defensive responsibilities of his job meant as much to him, evidently, as generating the offense. And he was able to do both almost masterfully. I, I don't think you can be great at anything if you don't, if there's no inspiration. Lots of people put the perspiration in. Lots of people work hard. Lots of people do the best they can. But there needs to be an inspiration to it. And I think looking at Jack's career over a bigger picture, it's pretty clear the inspiration faded. Missing the playoffs year after year after year after year in Buffalo. I mean, that takes you to the injury. But prior to that, it felt like it felt like he had flattened out. Yeah. And to go to Vegas, to you know, it's a second chance health-wise, because he he really held for the type of surgery that he wanted to get. And that, you know, like that was hard to do because it wasn't a real popular surgery at the time. I mean, there's been a few surgeries like it since, but he goes to Vegas and then he's just inspired Dregs in this, in this atmosphere that we just talked about of the building of the team and the way that the team is. And they need him to be, you know, a a complete player and it was it's easier to do that when you're inspired don't forget he this is i think a true mark of how good vegas was this year 
Jack Eichel was their leading scorer. He had 66 points. 66 points led that team in scoring. And Kelly McCrimmon went through it at the end of the game. I saw, you know, his interview, which, by the way, was excellent with with, uh, David Amber and and Elliot um, talking about his mom and dad and his, you know, his late brother, Brad McCrimmon, who we all just loved. But um, and, and how they're both on the Stanley Cup. You know, it's just it's just a remarkable story. But Kelly was talking about how how they all had to piece this thing together, and everybody had to to pull at a different time. And in the Dallas series, you know, in Game Six, it was Nick Waugh's line, and you know, it was Chandler Stevenson's line at one point. It was Eichel's line at another point. It was William Carlson's line in the Edmonton series. It was it was a bit of everything. And man, that's a deep steamroller looking team I'll tell you they were I was just so impressed in that Dallas series because they they got up three nothing they kind of fell asleep and all of a sudden it's three two they go back to Dallas and it was over like six minutes finished and it was it was impressive you know we're supposed to be jaded media we're not supposed to have emotions we're not supposed to invest I mean we cheer for good stories that's what we cheer for you know Times individuals, seldom teams, right? No skin in the game for either one of us. But, you know, it's been an interesting few days, right? And I'm finding myself watching TV. You know, obviously the, the, the putt that Nick Taylor made from 72 feet to win the Canadian Open, I mean, I'm sitting there kind of huffing a little bit because it's, it's just such a moment. You know, I get that almost annually with the Stanley Cup because you do see the investment of the players. And listening to, you know, you described the interview that that Kelly did with David and, and with Elliot was was terrific. I've known Kelly a long, long time, and that's heartfelt. That's genuine. Um, Petrangelo doing the interview, you know, talking about his daughter, and, and you can see how emotional he got. Um, for me, that's where, and then let's shift over to Florida and the list of the injuries. I, I think people have an appreciation for what these players have to go through, but then you see it at the end when it sinks in and the emotion bubbles to the surface because they have lives. Stuff matters. Like for a period of time for Alex Petrangelo, playing in the National Hockey League didn't matter to him, right? He had a daughter that was sick really ill and that was where his attention you know had to be and then you 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 look at the list of injuries from Florida uh, I mean when when Paul Maurice rhymed off what Aaron Eckblad was dealing with with two shoulder separations um, the torn oblique uh, a bad foot you know concussion test I mean what else and and, and Matthew Kachuk with the fractured sternum yeah I mean, these are these are injuries, Ray, that would what take you out of a regular season for at least several weeks. You know, in certain cases, months. Yeah, for sure. Add in Anthony Declare. They didn't have Etu Lesterainen in the in the final. You know, he was injured in yeah. uh, in the you know, Gudis with a high ankle sprain. I mean, just you crazy. know, it, it it is pretty remarkable that you can will yourself to do uh, if it's if the task is important enough. Those guys, they go through this for two months and they're never going to take a backward step until there's no steps to take. I mean, look, I got, I got to play, so I don't know, maybe my appreciation's a little different to just how hard it all is. And 
realizing that there's lots of years you don't have a chance because your team's just not good enough or you're not in the right place, whatever it is. I, I told Cammy this yesterday when they were bringing the cup out. I said, you know, I remember the first time that I ever saw the Stanley Cup. This will probably surprise you. It was in New Jersey. It was 2003. I had played 18 years in the NHL and retired. Never seen the Stanley Cup. Never seen it live. Never seen it in person. Hadn't been to the Hockey Hall of Fame. And it's underneath the stands. And I've got to get to a place where now I'm broadcasting. I'm going to do an interview after the game. And I walked by it. And it was on its table uh, in the old Brendan Byrne Meadowlands Arena, whatever the hell it was called at the time. And it was just sitting there. And there was, you know, people were five or 10 feet away from it, but it was just like it was on display. And I walked by it, Dregs, and I stopped and I, <laughs> I felt like a little kid. And my first thought was, it's so shiny. <laughs> I, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, this is like, I was emotional looking at the thing. And I, you know, I would never get a chance to hold it or, or play for it again. And I was like, uh, it was just so – what that trophy looks like and matters and means is – it's different to me than anything else, anything else. There's nothing even close to it. And when I saw it again last night, I was like, man, I, every year I just am so envious. And I, I did mention yesterday, I want to mention here, a, a good buddy of our of our family, Craig Cunningham, is a pro scout in, in Vegas. And uh, for those that don't know, Craig had a terrible incident on the ice many, many years ago and collapsed and went into a coma and ended up having part of his leg amputated. And he is the most positive, relentless, resilient person I know. I just love the guy. And he's a pro scout with Vegas and uh, he's a Stanley Cup champion. His contributions, like Kelly mentioned, to all those scouts is is paramount to building a team, but I was just so happy for, for Craig. He's just an amazing guy. Yeah. And see, that's why you cheer for individuals, yeah. Yeah. right? It's awesome. Uh, John Marsh still wins the con Smythe. I don't think anybody was surprised, disappointed, any of that. What, you know, at the end of the day, what does it really matter? But I think what, what the process speaks to is likely how tight it could have been. Right. So, you know, Marsh, so, had a real good run after the the first round, scored a ton of goals, delivered, you know, you know, collection of points. I mean, he he for me, he was undeniably a top candidate for Con Smythe going into game five. But then you, you know, you had the Eichel story and his contributions, and Aiden Hill, you know, made his way into the conversation. And our pal Dave Poulin in our pregame coverage said, nah. I get it. I understand all that. Mark Stone is going to win the Conn Smythe tonight. Oh, that's okay. And, I'm going to stop you right there. That is such a pooly choice. Pooley and I look at the game 180 degrees apart. You'll have to ask him about this. So he would say, when I was doing a Leaf game, I would say something about a play that had been made. And at the same time, Pooley in the studio would say something from the defensive player's side. <laughs> he looks at it one way. Of course he would vote yeah. for Mark Stone. And of course I would <laughs> vote for a small goal scorer. <laughs> so, but who the hell is going to get to win a Stanley Cup with one player? No yeah. chance. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I think Mark Stone was going to shoot at that empty net 74 times last night. 
before, <laughs> it, looked like before it. it finally, you know, he finally cashed in. But all through that run, like you, you meant the guys you mentioned, Drake's come on, like each one I of know. them made just significant contributions. There's nothing harder in the game than to score and to score at the rate that Marcia so scored. He would have been my pick. Um, Eichel would have been next, but um, there's probably not a lot of spread as, as people are rolling no. around in their head. There's 18 people that vote and um, yeah. they try to, you know, try to decipher the, the best candidate. We'll break away from the Stanley Cup because I do want your thoughts on Michael Anlauer finally getting the, the letter of agreement signed and eventually he'll get control of ownership of the Ottawa Senators. But is there a takeaway from this Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights team? Because every year we look for the copycat sort of, of, of model, right? You know, what will other clubs try and steal, take away from the structure of the Golden Knights? I don't know. How do you emulate the approach from management and others? I mean, you can't really, right? You either are aggressive and have the opportunity to be aggressive as an NHL organization, or maybe you don't. And and so will there be some sort of copycat takeaway or this one's just too hard to follow up on? I, I think teams that try to copycat a Stanley Cup winner are a loser every time because you don't have the same people. You don't... You could have somebody in the same framework as Alex Petrangelo, for example, but it's not Alex Petrangelo. You could have somebody in the same framework as Jonathan Marcheseau, but he's not Marcheseau. He doesn't have his heart, doesn't have his drive, doesn't have Petrangelo's smarts in that same framework. So I, I think when, when you go in, you look at your roster, this is what we have. What are our strengths? What can we identify uh, as our strengths, what are our weaknesses? Can we plug those weaknesses without taking away from our strengths? How can the ownership emulate it? That's the easy part, actually. It's just you have to be willing to do that and spend to do that. And nobody can tell an owner how to spend their money. No, you know, like I'm. Everybody looks at it differently. Some teams feel like you need to have a lot of draft choices. I think we talked about there was three uh, draft choices with. With Vegas, they built their team differently. So, you know, Michael Andlauer is going to go in there and heck, by the time they get this thing finalized, Dregs is, it's pretty unlikely there's any, any change, correct? For the most part. I mean, Barbashev, are they going to be able to sign him? I mean, no, no, no. Played... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In Ottawa. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Until they get to the end of the summer, right? Yeah. Until they get right. to the end of the summer. And then, I don't know that's going to satisfy the fan base there. I, for whatever reason, they, they seem to be sensing blood in the water. Uh, and I get it. You know, Steve Stayhouse is working with uh, the Edmonton Oilers. They're in scouting meetings, for heaven's sakes, in, in BC. And we know the history, the connection to Ann Lauer there. So maybe in time. But Ann Lauer won't get control until August, maybe even September. And in the meantime... Pierre Dorian, the GM of the Sens, has a lot of work to do, right? So I just, I'm glad the saga is over. You know, it, it needed to end for everyone's kind of peace of mind. And I would have picked Mike Landlauer because of his history with the league as a front runner going in. So, with all due respect to all the other bidders, and there was significant money involved here, um, I, I think that this, this is probably the best option moving forward for them. Well, it'll be, um, you know, the excitement of the new ownership brings hope, right? And 
One of my favorite movies is uh, Shawshank Redemption. Hope is a good thing, Red. Hope sometimes it's the only thing. And um, I, I, I'm excited for them. They've, you know, it's been a long run here and they've been in the ditch for a while and they started to put some really great pieces together and the next step we'll, we'll see, but there's a lot of people that'll be sitting around all summer in their quiet moments, wondering what's going to happen when, you know, like, will they bring in new people? Will they run forward with, will DJ Smith be back as a coach? Can you sign people to extensions? Probably not. You know, it's, it's an uncertain time until they really get full full control. All right, real quick uh, for fans of the Calgary Flames and the New York Rangers, a couple of coaching hires with Peter Laviolette going on to the New York Rangers bench, not overly surprising, and, and nor was it surprising that Ryan Husk is promoted you know, as head coach in Calgary. What do you think? Well, I'll start with uh, Laviolette, and it, it, the, the strangest part of this thing for me is, you know, he – that had been out there for a month and why did it take so long to push it across the finish line? So I'm, I'm, I'm curious and that probably never find out, but I'm, I'm curious as to what the, the delay was in, you know, in, in pushing it over the line. Now does, does he bring in a whole new coaching staff? Does he have, is it a mix and match? Does the, does the management pick some of the assistants? We'll, we'll see there. Um, as for Calgary, um, Ryan Huska's, uh, um, he's a really terrific guy. He really is. He's a good guy. Um, his dad was, uh, was the head of the police in trail. Oh, and so when Ryan was a little kid. So everybody would be like, Oh, Sergeant Huska's around. <laughs> so, <laughs> and his dad was just watching the game, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, he's just watching his kid play. So, um, I've I've known Ryan for a while. He's been um, you know was a has been a winner everywhere he's gone, and it it seemed after you know they moved on from Daryl Sutter that they they weren't going to go for you know down the road of a high priced older coach. And so right. there's a first timer, a yeah. first time head coach at the NHL level, and um, I liked what I heard from him yesterday. Uh, the acknowledgement they've got a good team and liked a lot of what they did, but they've they've got to find a way to to do a few things a little better. And I, I just I just liked his demeanor and his yeah. approach. And so we'll um, those are two of the latest hires. Yeah, and and look in both cases, and I'm not saying this because I, I want to point out a, a negative aspect to the process. It's it's just reality. Ownership was heavily involved, right? I mean, you need ownership approval, and uh, I'm fine with that. And, and I'm interested. I'm intrigued by the direction of the Calgary Flames. There's a lot of cap work that needs to get done there. But at least now they've got uh, all the bases covered from coaching and uh, management. All right, let's uh, move forward. Those are your headlines. Hi, it's Ray Ferraro. You've probably heard me talking about my friends at North Beach Agency and Craft Growth. They provide customized marketing solutions tailored to help grow businesses of all sizes. From results-driven marketing across TV, radio, and podcasts to websites, digital, social, out-of-home, and everything in between, they have the proven expertise to get the measurable results you need to get your business growing. You can visit craftgrowth.net and book your free business growth consultation now. That's craftgrowth.net. Chris Abbott is a presentation, Ray, of Botano.ca, now available in Ontario. And every episode, Botano reminds us that game starts now. And 
we're going to shift temporarily over to golf. And why wouldn't we, right? You've got the U.S. Open uh, ready to fly here, so I'm looking forward to it. Another major that I'm involved with in a pool. All kinds of activities, all kinds of transactions you can engage with on Botano.ca, including the overall winner. I don't think that uh, anybody would be surprised that Scotty Shuffler is at the top of the pile, right? At plus 600. Um, are you even a little bit surprised that Brooks Kepka is at plus 1,100 behind John Rahm at plus 1,000? Or are you good with that? No, I'm, I'm not. I mean, he seems to have found in the, in the last couple of majors that he can play again. You know, he's, it, his... As we saw in the golf uh, documentary, he had his self belief had gone into the into the toilet, and um, you know somewhere along the line he seems to have found his way back again. So I, I'm not surprised he's there. I Colin Morikawa is plus twenty nine hundred. I I got the chance to play it at this course one time. When your ball goes into the rough, this was just like on a normal day. Yeah, it's like the ball was weighted with an anchor. It just sinks. Yeah. And so the rough is going to be murder, which of course the U.S. Open takes pride in, right? They they love everybody. They want this tournament to be right around even. They don't want anybody at minus fifteen, and nobody's going to get there. So I think precision is precision is job one here. The second part would be strength. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do get it in there, that that leads me to a little bit of Rom and Kepka. But um, I like more. I for my. Longish pick. I like Morikawa this week. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, there's a super short par three there, right? Yeah. Well, oh, do you mean the super short one or the one that's 270 yards down? No, that one is that 11. It's like 290. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's murder. But then- it's ridiculous. We pl- we played it like the members play it from you know we were guests, but the, they they play it like from. 220 and it's still impossible right? i'm looking forward to the start of it uh tomorrow another name that jumps off the page for me um i mean if you look at at the way that it's processed here on batano.ca your top four would be scotty scheffler uh, john rombrooks captain rory mcelroy victor hovland he's he's got his game going this season right so i, I like the more he seems like he seems like he's about ready to win Hovland he does. does yeah uh what else have we got top five finishes i don't think anyone would surprise us there xander shoffley mm, plus 490 maybe. maybe california kid how about max homa at plus 600 okay he's another guy that another one of those youngish guys that seems like he's about ready to to take a leap, but I would have Hovland in front of Homa for me right now, as far as being ready, you know. Is Morikawa the dark horse pick for you, or do you want to go deeper into that pile? No, no that's as far as I'm going to go because the U.S. Open is so hard um, to get way deep into the odds. I mean, for somebody to put four days of just miraculous play together from the bottom of the board, I – that seems like a tough one. The odds right now are the same. Morikawa and Terrell Hatton. Um, I like, yeah, yeah. And he's coming off. Uh, I mean, he made it interesting at the Canadian Open, right? I mean, he made a real hard push on the weekend. So there's. Do you think Nick Taylor slept yet? <sighs> he's a busy dude, man. <laughs> he's got a lot going on. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, all of the guys, Adam Hadwin, the whole Canadian contingent around him probably partied for about three straight days. How many different angles did you see of of Hadwin getting tackled? That was spectacular. Well, but isn't it the most Canadian thing ever? I mean, okay. And as he's acknowledged, well, look, you got some random guy spraying champagne, you know, on on the winter wearing a hoodie and and casual clothes. You know, like, what did I think was going to happen? I just can envision that happening in the U.S., there being outrage over it. So, yeah, the, the, the other thing I did think of as I was watching those people storm the greens, the 18th green is, oh, the members at Oakdale are going to love their green on Monday morning. <laughs> that thing would have been chopped liver. <laughs> By the time they got off there. I always wonder about the the putter throw too, right? Like Nick Taylor threw his putter. It's not coming down nice and flat. It's leaving a divot. I got to, th- I, when he threw it, I'm like, oh, who's going to go get the putter, right? Like it, it was mayhem right away. And so that, we didn't talk enough about that, but I was just, it was one of the, it was one of the great, this, this past year, I've seen two things that I haven't been that excited about in a long time in sport. Yeah. And that was uh, Messi and Argentina winning the World Cup, which was just amazing theater. And and Nick Taylor winning yeah. the other day. I just, man, for four hours, we did not budge. And um, I, I've i got to play with Nick one time, a couple times actually, with Dan Murphy from Sportsnet. Oh, nice. And we're sitting on the 15th tee and Murph wanders over and he goes, you know, Nick's seven under, eh? I go, what? And he goes, yeah, he's seven under. I, he was just walking around. <laughs> like it was ridiculous. And that demeanor you saw from him, yeah, that's that's him. That was him. That wow. it was like just calm and uh, just a super nice guy. And it was, I was so happy for him. It was just an incredible thing to watch. It was. And uh, let's hope for more of the drama at the U.S. Open this weekend. Uh, again. Stay online, batano.ca, and uh, perhaps next, well, no, we've got another podcast coming up on Friday, I believe. So we'll see if we can wedge Chris Abbott out of a meeting and uh, he can join us. We can dive a little bit deeper into what's going on at the U.S. Open. All right, time for Ask Rain Driggs Anything. You can send us your questions on Twitter and Instagram at Rain Driggs or on the website, raindriggs.com. Ask Rain Dregs Anything presented by Dewar, the world's most comfortable pants for men and women. Love them, Ray. Love them. You were, I think, one of the first to put me onto Dewar way back in the day, right? You said, Dregs, the jeans, the shorts, the t-shirts, you're never going to find a more comfortable wear than what we get at Dewar. And now, I don't know, I probably got a half a dozen pieces or so, right? Uh, I've got to beef up because no, not physically. I've got to beef up my collection, is what okay, I mean. Okay, good. Okay, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Because every day, you know, when I'm not rustling to get ready for work, uh, you know, I get up in the morning. First thing I want to do is throw on a pair of shorts and a t-shirt because I got to take tiny for the walk. And I'm mad at myself when I look and I don't have the t-shirt ready. It's in the wash. Guess what I'm doing? Very shortly, I will be shopping online. I don't know if I like the the shop online as much as the in-store stuff. I, there's a doer place here I can go get oh, my stuff. Wow. Like okay. it. Because, Dregs, I like the I like the stuff to fit. And I don't focus enough when I order online. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've ordered something and I go, I pull out a pair of pants and I go, 
What have I ordered? 42 leg length? So, yeah, that's probably yeah. not going to work. <laughs> that's not going to work. I'm going to hem it up about nine inches. So, you know, but the, the Doer stuff is super comfortable. Love it. Thanks, Doer. And a reminder, if you use code RND15, you will save 15% off everything at doer.ca. To Twitter and a friend of the podcast, Monty, says, Ray, first NHL game versus your first playoff game and the difference in emotions and just the overall experience. I'm sure you, you have vivid recollection of both. I, I think I remember more of the first playoff game than I do of my first game. The, my first game, I was just such a fog. I was just <laughs> like, I was... Am I really here? What am am I doing here? And I was playing, I was in Hartford playing against Boston. The Bruins were my uh, childhood favorite team. And I I remember in warm-up just skating around looking at their uniforms and like, this is unbelievable. The first playoff game, I just the, just so amped to play, like so much energy, just like, you just couldn't believe it that, that here we were, we were, you know, our team was in the playoffs and they ran us over early and we somehow hung on. We were playing in Quebec City and it was a crazy atmosphere. And um, so I, I would say I remember more, but equally exciting. Like they were just, it was just amazing to do, to have the opportunity to do both. Well, Monty's asking me first broadcast versus first time primetime broadcast. So 1997, I guess I'm in Edmonton with the Oilers. Uh, first experience of the Shark Tank. I oh. mean, you remember that building, man. And, you know, technology wasn't as crisp then as it is now. And, you know, I've got my earpiece in, Ray. I couldn't hear anything, nothing. Bruce Buchanan is a play-by-play guy. He's throwing down to me to set the scene on whatever. And if not for the camera person, like literally go, go, like waving his right. arm, start talking, I had no clue. And then this is, for me, it's funny because it was so ridiculous. Scott Moore, who you know well, right, mm-hmm. used to be the head of Sportsnet back in the day. So he hires me out of Edmonton, and I'm going to be the national host. Sportsnet had the NHL national package at the time, and I'm hosting in studio. And Scott wanted energy. Like, this has to be just pumped. We got to be fired up for all of this. Well, the first broadcast I did, I was literally yelling. <laughs> they have an audio it's, department. Yeah, in studio. And I'm like, I'm joined here by Greg Mellon and Nick Kiprios. I'm like yelling. <laughs> and he comes up over the catwalk at the old sports that building. He comes down after like the, the first segment or whatever. Yeah, you may want to tone it down a little bit. I meant energy, like make sure that the pace is good. You don't have to yell. There are microphones and we have an audio department. So there you go. It was more goofy than emotional. Let's put it that uh, way. How about, how about though, it's just, you know, um, you know, about being in the shark tank, but being in those places, it's so loud. You know, <clears throat> oftentimes you'll know the question in advance. Yeah. And when it's time to go, all you can, all I could think of is, I hope he asked me what he said he was going to ask me because I have no idea what he's just said. <laughs> Whatever comes to you, and you just like you just talk, and you're like, I hope this is it. 
you've been in that environment many, many times before where it's disconcerting when you can't, you, you know, we've, the, the panels that we did post game at Stanley Cups and, and all of those things, right? The loud buildings where you're looking at Duffy or you're looking at the host and exactly what you just said. You you know the question that he was supposed to ask, but you can't hear it. So you're hoping. And you see in his eyes. Excellent point. You see in his eyes. Start talking. And you're like, yeah, but I don't really know what you said. (laughs) All right, Monty, thank you for that. Uh, Hockey question. Instagram from Kyle Whitman at Kylu2014. Now that Cole Caulfield has been locked into a team-friendly contract, uh, with the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, I think it was a fair contract for both Cole Caulfield and the Montreal Canadiens. I don't think it's overly team-friendly. He, he's asking what Ken Hughes' next move is. And it's debatable, right? I mean, there's been so much speculation around Winnipeg and Pierre-Luc Dubois. And, and yeah, I think there's legit considerable interest from in Montreal Canadiens and Pierre-Luc Dubois. May not be the next move. Let's see how things play out. But I do think that Montreal is eager to be to be active, obviously, to improve that lineup. So could be Dubois, could be something well, else. Well, um, I mean, I, I guess the draft is the is the next pressure point for it all. And are they going to move some picks? They have a bunch of picks left, or not left, that they've accumulated. Um, at, the Dubois to Montreal thing is interesting to me because most times something that's so obvious doesn't happen. I mean, sometimes it does. Most but times, you're right. Most times it just doesn't. Yeah. And I was like, hmm. So the more I keep hearing about it, like it's a foregone conclusion, the more I think, well, maybe not. I don't even have any reason why to say that, except just past history is a little different. Yeah, and in Montreal isn't the only team on his list. I mean, Pat Brisson, the agent, Pierre-Luc are going to want to work with Chevalier and the Winnipeg Jets because... Winnipeg owns his rights. He's a restricted free agent. He's not going to sign, but they own his rights for uh, another year. How about one more? I don't know. You want to talk about Mitch Marner or Blake Wheeler? I'll give you an option. Uh, you Whatever you'd like. You know, I mean. Low-hanging fruit, clickbait, Mitch Marner. Uh, yeah, but Mitch Marner, they're not trading okay. Mitch Marner, if that's the question. Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, um, they might, on, but. I on Twitter. Well, what would. I w- I'm with you. Like, yuck. You can agree or disagree with the approach that Brandon Shanahan took before hiring Brad Turliving as his general manager, but he did have conversation with the core four and said that it's his preference. He wants to keep that group intact. Not going to be easy because Willie Nylander needs a new contract. You've got the negotiation with Austin Matthews, which is probably at least from an entry-level standpoint going to start now. Um, so then that leaves Marner. I, you know, there are times I I'm open. I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board with the criticism of a player's play rate. As long as it's fair and just, you know, Marner deserved to be criticized for some of his play in the postseason. No different than a number of other Toronto Maple Leaf players. He seems to be a beacon for negativity in this market. And I I guess it's pretty obvious why that is, right? It's because of the contract and you're not going to move Tavares. So you're stuck and you're in uh, salary cap purgatory. So that's, I think, what kind of fuels it more than anything. What kind of deal are you coming up with for Mitch Marner? No. What are you getting back that gets your attention? I I agree. Here's here's the other thing. 
I do think at least this is maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it does. Um, if you're less combative publicly, mm-hmm. you'll it'll probably go a long way. Yeah, that that's when I when I watch, I'm like, there's no need to be like, who cares what? It shouldn't matter to Marner, even though I'm sure it does for those guys because their coverage is nonstop. And it must be a colossal pain at some point, but don't let it, don't read it. Don't look at it. You, you, if you keep saying you don't look at it, that means you do. Yes. Or somebody in your family is. Or somebody in your family does. Yeah. And you know, you're getting the, you know, yeah. like a, a pipeline to yourself. Yeah. I, I just think if, if he could find a way to let that go a little bit, I think it would ease a lot of the, angst around him because he's a hell of a player he really he he really really is a special player and to try and craft a deal for him you're you're talking about a seismic move all right let's give away some merchandise i think monty gets a a hat right compliments Mm. of botano.ca that was talking about your first game versus your first playoff game and our broadcast moments uh let's give another one away what do you think either the montreal question or the minor question, you decide. Uh, I think Montreal because yeah. you know we we always get to Toronto and there's there's Montreal again is going to be in the they're going to be one of those teams in the middle of a lot of things yeah. and uh, you know once they get to Nashville. Yeah. All right, Kyle Whitman, thank you on Instagram, Monty, thank you on Twitter. You've got some terrific hats coming your way. Well, I had each. You know, we're generous, but come on, we have our limitations here. So thanks to Botano.ca. All right, man, what do you got going? I, I, you know, I'm a little bit off the hook here. I've got, well, we've got another podcast this week, but beyond that, a slight reprieve, still doing insider trading. And then I go to the draft in Nashville, I think on the 25th, maybe the 26th. But, you know, beyond that, a bit of a break, thanks to the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, I'm. Um, we got the podcast. Well, I'm playing golf this morning, which you know I'm. I'm working on a tour event. This will be four days in a row. And is the um, game coming around? You you talked about struggles ooh, of late. Last two days, much better. Um, um, pre prior to that, wondering if I sh- if I needed to go back to drawing board a little bit, but no, it's it's all coming together, Dregs. I can feel it. It's all coming together, nice, tight, and tight. Well, not tight. It was kind of a little messy at times yesterday, but so play today, play tomorrow, off to Seattle uh, on the weekend to watch Reese play, and then on to uh, soccer. He's our younger guy; he's yeah, thirteen, yeah. and then off to Dallas to watch uh, Riley uh, play in Dallas on um, early next week. So good for you. Uh, yep. Well, busy time, but we got it. We got the podcast Friday. Yeah. Wait, you're are you guesting? Are you are you working on it? Or yeah, I'm working on it. Yeah, it? you know I. Obviously, we'd like to have somebody from the Vegas Golden Knights in celebration. The, that time frame's a little it's, it's a little it's, sketchy. It's sketchy. It's sketchy. I mean, people want to help us out. They do. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. The players. <laughs> you need somebody upright at that time. <laughs> but, yes, we do. Hey, by the way, you just mentioned Reese in, in Seattle and, and uh, soccer. Um, I mean, you, you, of course, remember Sesame Street, right? Back in the day. Um, the Ted Lasso series, did you watch it from beginning to end? Every episode, loved it. Hey, Roy Kent is on Sesame Street. Oh. <clears throat> and and shocking to no one, he's he's having conversation 
with Oscar the Grouch. Oh, in of Oscar's course. Crash That's the first camp. thing I thought of. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I'll leave everybody who's watching on YouTube and uh, our faithful followers here on the Rain Riggs podcast with Roy Kent and Oscar the Grouch. All right, buddy. Have a good weekend. Oh, yeah, no, hold yeah. on. Good, good yeah, couple have a good days. couple of days. Yeah. We'll, we'll be back Friday. No. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You bet. Shout out to our partners who make the pod possible, our title sponsor, Canadian Club, who ask, are you over beer? The Tano.ca, now available in Ontario. The game starts now. And by doer, use code RNDPants, and you will save 15% of everything at doer.ca. Episode 72 of the Ray and Dregs Hockey Podcast. Until episode 73, stay safe, everybody. 